Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Shalom and welcome to Daily Daf Differently. I'm Michael Bernstein, the rabbi of Congregation Gesher Torah in Alpharetta, Georgia. Today we'll be studying Eruvin Kufdalid, Eruvin page 104. The Mishnah on Kufdalid Amud Aleph, towards the end, deals with the question of drawing water from certain wells. The Bor Hagola, the exile's well, Bor Hagadol, the great well, and something called Ber Haker, a well whose name we'll have to learn about in a little bit. But in dealing with this question of whether or not on Shabbat water can be, dwell, can be drawn from these wells with a galgal, some kind of crank instrument, we deal with a conversation later on on the daf that seems only tangentially connected, but we'll see may have an even deeper connection than that. Ula ikla lebei rav menasha. Ula, a third-generation Amura, based in Eretz Israel, but really known for going back and forth between the land of Israel and Babylonia. In doing so, he brings back and forth the different ideas and different traditions from each yeshiva. But what we're going to learn is that he doesn't always do it with great derech eretz, with a great well, way of treating people. While he is in the home of Rav Menasha, Atahu Gavra Taraf Ababa, some person comes by and knocks on the door. Amar Manhai. And Ula said, Who is this man? Litachel Gufe de Kamachile Lishapta. Let his body break down, for he has caused Shabbat to break down. What did the man do? All he did is knock on the door. But in fact, we will find that according to Ula, that is already, in Eretz Israel at least, considered a violation to make that much noise. And as somebody who has done my share of Tat Shabbats, I would say we have to warn the dinosaur that knocking on the door might not be received so kindly, at least if Ula is at home. But Raba, who is in Bavel, says to Ula, Lo asru elakol shelshir. They didn't actually ban every kind of noise, just noise that is melodious, noise with a musical nature. And we're going to find in the rest of this sugya, in this conversation, that Rava will be challenged by student Abaye, the next generation of, uh, of leadership. He's going to challenge and say that, in fact, there are ways of reading other traditions that show that it must be that all noise is banned on Shabbat. And one of those traditions, as we're going to continue, is going to be our Mishnah. The idea that the use of this crank to draw water from a well must have been forbidden because of the noise that it makes. But in fact, instead, we will find that there is a gezera, that there is a, another reason. We do not draw this water from the well. Shema, 
so that we don't come to irrigate our gardens and ruins. And we learn that Amemar, very late Amura, said that in fact he permitted using this device in Mechuza because he didn't have any gardens or ruins to irrigate, and there was no problem with worrying about that gazera. When he found, however, that they were soaking flax, he went and forbade them. And that's the end of the conversation so far, and it would seem as if it's possible that the dean of Rabbah, that only sounds that are melodious are forbidden, will carry the day. But now we're going to turn to the second part of our Mishnah and find out what it is this Haker well is in the first place. And in that discussion, I think we'll learn something that actually brings us back to the original conversation that we had about the permissibility of the different sounds, especially the difference between Eretz Yisrael and Bavel. What exactly is this Haker well, my bear Haker? Amar Shmuel, Bor Shehikru Aleha Devarim Vehitiruha. It's a well that they expressed arguments. That's how they translate Shehikru Aleha, and they permitted it. Just to take a quick aside, there's reason to believe, both from manuscripts and from the work of many scholars, that this Hey Kuf Resh doesn't really work as Shehikru and should probably be related to Chakira, that it's the Chaker well and that that name has nothing to do with the Hebrew, but that the drush that's brought here, the, the explanation, is that they investigated it and permitted it. And that makes more sense, but it's not the version we have. So even though it's a stretch, we'll use the words of Shehikru, but know that it could make more sense if it's related to Chet Kufresh. But the Gemara, in any case, is going to challenge this explanation. Metive, lo kolaborot, they didn't permit all of these hakir wells, only this one. Well, if this word means that they had some kind of conversation and or investigation and came to the conclusion it was permitted, how is it possible that you could call wells by this name and have them not be permitted? The name implies that they're permitted. So we'll bring another source, um, Ella Amar Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak. Nachman Bar Yitzchak says that it's a bear ma'im chaim. It means a well of flowing water. And he brings a verse from Jeremiah 6 7 in which this root is used simply to be a wellspring that causes its waters to flow. Behikir bear. So we now have an explanation. But we don't actually know what it is, the story we're talking about. Who permitted it? So the Gemara will treat us to the rest of the Brita. Gufa. Lo kolaborot hakirot hitiru ela. Zobilvad. They did not give a permission for all of the wells that had this name hakir. Only this one uh, alone. Kisha'alu b'nei hagola. So when the children of the exile came up to the land of Israel, chanu aleha, these are the ones they camped at. Well, this is where they camped. And the prophets among them permitted them to use this one well, the one they camped at on Yom Tov. So what we learn is that this, in fact, historically, was when the exiles came 
from Bavel to Eretz Yisrael, in the time of the great return to rebuild the temple, they had prophets with them, and these prophets, we learn elsewhere, are Zechariah, Haggai, and Malachi, and these prophets gave them permission to use this well, despite the fact that by rights, you would not be able to, on Yom Tov, draw from this well because of the problems that uh, are mentioned in the Mishnah, that this is a, a gezera. But they are allowed because of the prophets. But the Gemara will say something else. It wasn't the prophets amongst them who issued this permission. It was the custom of their ancestors that they had. In other words, it didn't take these prophets to give them permission. They had traditions with them from their ancestors. Some try to harmonize this and say they had both the prophets and these traditions. But either way, it's clear that the Gemara is going out of its way to prioritize the Minhag Avotam, the traditions of their ancestors. And this is what I think brings us back to the original conversation. When Ula came from Eretz Yisrael to Bavel, and he was so upset to see that the stricter ruling of Eretz Yisrael, that all noise was forbidden, had been replaced by a ruling that only noise that is melodious on Shabbat is forbidden. Well, his move back to Bavel and finding these rulings was really the way things are going. The centers of learning, still in the first generation and second and third generation, may have been equally in Eretz Yisrael and Bavel, but soon they would be completely in Bavel, and then only in exile would we find the great centers of learning that would carry the Jewish people. It is the Talmud Bavli that takes pre precedence, and not the Yerushalmi. In that world of exile, it's not enough to have prophets with you who can give permission. You need to have the authority of the rabbis, which here is minhag avotam, the traditions that the people carry and the logic to interpret them. This becomes the priority. And even though the ruling in Bavel is that sounds that are melodious are still forbidden, it is one step closer to be able to make that musical sound on Shabbat than having all sounds on Shabbat be forbidden. In other words, they're one step closer to singing in exile, even as they draw the waters of Babylon. It's been my honor and my pleasure to learn the Daily Daf with you this week. I wish you success in your learning, especially as we come to the end of Mesechet Eruvin and move on, please God, to new Mesechtot together. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.